lot of machine learning applications in business can be boiled down to some form of decision support. And decisions can be big or they can be small. There's big decisions like deciding whether or not to merge or acquire another company. And there might be smaller decisions like whether or not this tumor has enough traits that make it seem like it's worth performing a surgery on or if it's worth leaving alone. In this particular interview, we talk about the domain of decision support, specifically in tax and accounting. And there are few firms that know more about tax and accounting than Ernst & Young. And there's few people at Ernst & Young that know more about artificial intelligence than Sharda Cherwu. Sharda is a partner at EY, uh, and she is also the intelligent automation leader for the America's division of their, their tax practice. And so Sharda talks with us about two things today. She talks about where decision support is being influenced by machine learning in accounting and tax today. What is currently doable? Where are we seeing AI make its way in? She's very open about the fact that we're really in a nascent stage and we're seeing initial experimentation, some initial results, and she talks about where that traction actually exists. But then Sharda also paints a picture of bigger picture decisions that might be able to be automated or informed by machine learning systems. We talk a little bit about what those challenges are, but sort of how that decision space of what human experts can do can kind of be gobbled up over time by machines. We don't really talk about job impact, but we do talk about the actual functional doing of machine learning and sort of what it would take to have more decisions be able to be informed or made by a machine. And a lot of the lessons we chat about here really are transferable to other spaces. As Sharda talks about small things like categorizing a receipt, there's almost inevitably going to be some kind of small decision in your business that you can make in a similar analogy to if you have enough previous data points of a similar kind. Similarly, as Sharda talks about making higher level decisions that sort of experts are required for today, you could also probably imagine similar repeated decisions at a little bit of a higher level of abstraction in your company as well. So the focus here is obviously on accounting and tax, but the real lessons that I think are transferable to all industries is how does machine learning take control of or help to inform important decisions for human experts. And I think that's a major takeaway that's helpful and handy, and I certainly had fun with this particular interview. We actually haven't really talked that much about tax in the past, so we've got some interesting use cases here. So without further ado, this is Sharda Cherwu with Ernst & Young. I'm Dan Fagella, and you are listening to AI and Industry. So Sharda, when we look at individual sectors, we often talk about what's possible today, sort of what, what the state of machine learning integration is today. Obviously, tax and accounting is your world. When you look at where machine learning is fitting in, maybe beginning to fit in or maybe actually, you know, is, is part of production is actually making its way really into products. Where do you see that intersection now? So today, thank you, Dan. So yeah, today, where we're seeing machine learning is in several areas. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's been industrialized to the nth degree, but we're seeing sort of spotty usages yep. of machine learning. I mean, one of the ones that comes to mind is fixed assets, right? One of the big challenges that companies have is when you have a large fleet of assets, desks, chairs, laptops, and everything, you know, you have to, you know, there's a lot of accounting and depreciation and disposition and gains or losses and all that stuff that needs to be recorded, right? And every so often you have misclassification, something that might be classified as, you know, five-year depreciable asset might be put into 10-year depreciable asset. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that isn't quite uh, what it needs to be. 
you know, today what we see machine learning applications, that that's one use case that we see that's emerging. And I wouldn't say most companies have sort of are on that path, but certainly we've seen companies and we're working with companies who actually are using machine learning to kind of straighten out, you know, making sure that, you know, if, if every month I, if someone's recording something as a desk and it really should be a chair, you know, through, through the data that's ingested by the machine learning tool, it sort of corrects, it, it auto-corrects and, and gets it into the right category just by looking at the data saying, you know, every time something looks like this, it's an invoice here, it says this, it really should be a desk, it shouldn't be a chair, right? That kind of stuff. So, so we're seeing okay. machine learning okay. in that application. We're seeing a lot in the application of expenses, right? Correct categorization of expenses, right? Where, where there's some things travel versus a meal or a hotel bill that needs yeah. to get split into different pieces, right? And it's relevant. It's relevant because, you know, travel gets treated differently. Yep, yep, exactly. Deducted differently than meals do, right? It that totally kind of does, stuff. yep. So there's a lot of, uh, I'd say, uh, point solutions for specific problems that are, I'd say, fairly narrow at this point. You know, correcting stuff that's routine, that's automatic, that might be, you know, caused because of human error or just misclassifications. So those are common. Invoices are a great example also, right? Lots of lots of invoices come into organizations to get paid, right? And there's a lot of manual time today that's spent on, well, this invoice might sound like this, but it's really for you know, paper and not something else, right? Yeah. And and so auto-correcting, you know, ingesting tons of invoicing, every time it's from company A and it says something like this, it's really for paper and not, you know, someone who might might have classified it as something else. So a lot of invoice machine learning cool. through, through invoices, you know, rates, you know, tax rates being corrected, right? If you're always in a certain jurisdiction, there's local taxes and whatever else, and someone just puts a wrong tax rate in, Right. Or you know is is not right on so you're auto correcting those sort of things. So that that's a few things, but I wouldn't say it's sort of become like Excel today. You know, Excel sort of everywhere. Yeah, it's not Everyone's the norm. Yep, yep. It's not the norm. Yep, it's yep. not the norm today. But we're seeing use cases. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate your frankness, and and I think you know that's why the audience tunes in is to sort of get an, an honest and frank lay of the land. So you're talking about very discreet points of distinction, very discrete points of decision. I like Andrew Ng's analogy or Andrew and G's analogy of the the use case of machine learning are often things that humans need, I forget if he said three seconds or four seconds or less to kind of make a decision. And oftentimes, if you're a bookkeeper and you're just categorizing a, you know, a big old list of things that are you know, dumped into expenses, you know, it might not take you that long to say, is this travel? Is this, this, is it that? But it's kind of a human heuristic. There's a bit of a feel, there's a bit of an intuition, there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a chance for error there because we can't always be right, but that it might be possible to train a machine to do something similar. So I'm going to kind of poke into these examples with you, Sharda, and, and talk about, I guess, how maybe, how maybe they really work. It would seem like what we'd want to do, and tell me if I'm if I'm wrong here, we take a huge company like let's say GE, and I know you know companies like like Ernst and Young. I mean, you guys work with very large firms. We take a really huge company that has a massive history of you know expenses on their books, and we look at the historical categorizations by you know bookkeepers and staff in terms of what goes where, and then we get mm-hmm. we get another month or another quarter of expenses kind of throttled into the system and we say, okay, are there any Mm -hmm. anomalies? Are there any things that seem to break 
from what were normally the pattern. So maybe we have a lot of things marked as Starbucks that are all of a sudden called travel instead of meals. Maybe we have a certain vendor categorized under computers instead of subscriptions, whatever the case may be. Is that essentially what we're looking at, historical data, and then and then kind of finding those anomalous cases there? Or is there a little bit more on the front end in terms of kind of programming and, and uh, instrumenting that we need to do? So, you know, I think there's a little bit more. Uh, it's not only the anomalous cases, it's finding the, you know, errors, maybe some of that, and also then finding patterns of something that might might have happened, if I understand your question, right? So it, it is, yeah, it's finding the anomalies, but it's also auto-correcting and then making sure it gets into the right category. Yeah, yeah. Or if, if the machine, and I think the beauty about this stuff is if the machine can't figure it out, you know, despite, I mean, or it gives you the confidence level, right? Saying, you know, I think I'm right, but I think I might be 80% right. There's a 20% chance of error. So so throwing out the sort of confidence level to, to apply human judgment is also what you end yeah. up sort of seeing through machine learning. But, but I mean, the bottom line is just ingesting huge amounts of data and doing it much quicker than human beings and the stuff they're like 100% certain of just going through automatically, the stuff they're not as certain of being highlighted for humans to think about. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, I I like this idea of a confidence interval. So we might be able to take all of the expense categorizations by humans and then maybe run this machine learning layer over it and say, hmm, you know, we've got anything 70% higher chance of error, let's say, I'm using arbitrary numbers here, Sharda, let's flag that and then get a human to review a sample of those. And if we find a lot of them that honestly were done wrong, then thank Mm -hmm. goodness we can go correct them. But yeah, like you said, it's not just anomalies. It might just be throwing a layer of confidence on top of current categorizations to to make sure things are in the right place. Yep, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. And then for invoices, you know, again, you'd know better than I here. I've heard of cases where this invoicing problem that you articulate is done with machine vision, where we have to take these paper invoices and scan them, and then they get kind of assessed, and we determine how much we owe and all that. But that's obviously only one step, right? And then from there, like you said, it might say the vendor is this company that's normally associated with plumbing, but in all seriousness, this is for some other kind of manufacturing parts when they send us this kind of an invoice. So I imagine it's the same kind of historical training and instrument to say, this means this, this means that. So when we feed it into the system, it's going to pop it into the right slot, if I'm hearing you right. Exactly, exactly. Or if there's an anomaly, if the goods were shipped X place and the sales tax rate should have been 7% and the local rate should have been 2%, and, and somehow it sees an anomaly that it's only 5% or no local rates applied, just throwing, kicking those out as well. So it's yeah, sort of, okay. again, like connecting the dots between various parameters saying, you know, this is what I think it should be, but it's this. Tell me whether, whether that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. So we are maybe putting stuff in the right place or throwing a layer on top of human decisions and also calling out things that may very well just be flat out wrong or very different. Like you said, we have a certain tax rate. And now all of a sudden we have a big invoice with a totally different tax rate or no information about a tax rate. Okay, let's flag this and make sure a human looks at this. Maybe we don't want a human looking at everything, but under certain circumstances, we want to flag it down. Exactly. Cool. Okay. I like it. Yeah. And, and makes sense as an application. And like you said, these are pretty discreet, pretty narrow, pretty individual applications. It's not to say that there won't be more 
grandiose uses of machine learning in, in the future of, of accounting and kind of tax work. But these are pretty narrow, but certainly still pretty important. And we can imagine how they could save time, save money, hopefully improve accuracy. But obviously, you folks are thinking about the future of this space. I mean, I think that kind of the the whole world of the big four uh, is, is, is pretty tuned in to sort of what's going to be shaken up and, and kind of vying for, for a differentiated position there. When, when you guys look ahead at where accounting and tax might be, are there some exciting vistas of capability that maybe we're not there now, but we'd really like to get to? Things that are maybe a little bit broader or kind of new capabilities that, that you think are, are viable or maybe even inevitable, but, but that won't be here for another couple of years. Anything jump to mind that you're excited about? Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I think what's going to be pretty exciting is there's a lot of <laughs> rules and thoughts and experience that's built into our brains, especially over the years, right? Yeah. And, you know, maybe 80% of it's rule-based, but there is a 20% judgment element, right? Uh, or, or based upon experience. So where there's a gray, you know, you, the decisions being made to one versus the other. I think what's going to be very interesting in the tax field or or other field, I mean, tax specifically, where I spend most of my time in, is just the ability to take a bunch of information and being able to conclude with you know a fair amount of confidence that when you read this kind of stuff and if you see these 16 facts and if you see these, that this is what's relevant, this is what the answer probably should be, Right. And, uh, you know, human being take a look at it. So so a lot more in terms of cognitive decision making based on you know old cases, you know, a lot of what what gets done in, in tax planning, tax, just just looking at facts, really being able to take voluminous amounts of tax cases, et cetera, and being able to find them and conclude and really put together the summary of what, what might be the answer. It's something that that'll, I think, help. And just like it helps, you know, surgeons and, and the medical field, I think it's the same concept where you we, we'll see a lot more advances of that in the future than we, we have today. And I think what's very going to be very interesting is I love the idea of, you know, if you had 20 very smart brains or even 100, um, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. take 20 as, as a start, that have practiced in a certain field, right? It is virtually impossible, especially in the gray areas, to get the same answer if you talk to 20 different people. Yeah, yep, right? totally is. And, and so I think what's going to be very very exciting is to be able to have a, a world where you actually have consistency. Because you have consistency because, you know, my brain, through all these examples, concludes X. You know, your brain conclu- concludes Y. And then, you know, you might have, you know, 10 other answers. But then being able to discover what those answers might be, how would I conclude? How would you conclude? How would someone else conclude based upon these sets of facts, same sets of facts? And being able to then make sense of it and being able to connect the dots and maybe get a, a better answer or the the more popular answer today or over time. I think that's a pretty interesting way to to apply this because today when you know you give a case to five different lawyers, they might come up with five different, you know, versions of what the answer might be. Right? Yeah. Or accountants. So I think the transparency that it creates, right? Today we don't know how our brains think. We really actually don't know. So what what this helps us do, and I think what this is going to help us do is sort of lay out how the brains think. And being able to sort of have that transparency across 
whatever domain and being able to see it and then human beings and thinking about you know what are the differences are 10 people concluding differently on the same thing yeah huh so i i think i i think i see where you're headed i, I want to actually just see if i'm following you here sharda we were talking about mm-hmm. a somewhat analogous i think analogous use case with thomson reuters recently they, they obviously do a lot with law you're mentioning legal and kind of search mm-hmm. so looking at common factors and being able to search legal documents and summarize legal documents and even come up with conclusions about legal documents. They were talking about having a whole lot of legal precedents enter their libraries. And then these are in turn kind of tagged, flagged, and and kind of notated by legal experts as they enter the system. And so over time, we can sort of look at some of the the actual raw information in the legal document, like the text, uh, the entities mentioned, etc. And then we can look at the annotations and tags made by the expert and sort of get a sense for, is this case, you know, how likely is this case to be overturned uh, if it goes into right. court again, you know, or something like that. We can come up with proxy info or, yeah, like how, how likely is this to be overturned or, you know, does this case meet these criteria? In other words, does it have anything to do with you know, I don't know. Does it have anything to do with intellectual property? And so it might not say intellectual property in the title, uh, or and there's a chance that there may not even be a paragraph that actually says those two words in a row, but we can pick up by context and maybe by human labels, by past precedents, by other people's smart people's decisions that, yes, when they use this kind of language, this is what they're protecting, this is what they mean, this is what's implied here. And so we could potentially find whether or not this has to do with intellectual property. Sounds like you're talking about something, a future where in accounting, we might have something similar. You know, is this likely, is this something that a, a trained auditor would say, or a trained accountant would say might get audited. Is this something that a trained accountant might say is miscategorized? Is this something that a trained accountant might say? So layering that expertise into a network to to flag that for human experts by baking it in on the front end. Am I am I following you correctly? Is this a similar kind of analogous idea? Uh, yes, and and you know, in addition to that, though, what what you also start seeing is experts. You know, many a times don't even agree. You almost start seeing why they don't agree with something, right? So I might look at a document and I might conclude this fact is more important than that fact, so I tag this or whatever else, right? As I'm training the machine to sort of learn what I know. And someone else might do something a little different because they find something else more important. But but today, I think a lot of that gets done involuntarily, right? It, it just happens and you, you don't really understand the logic as much, as clearly, right? And so what this can also, you know, in addition to what you're saying, what this also allows you to do is sort of see the the dimensions of the conclusions and why people think differently. And then, you know, think about what, what might be a you know, better answer. If, if I come, It's almost like a best of breed answer because I might hone into one fact that's more important for me when I'm reading something. So I tag that, right, for the machine. You might hone into something else that you find is one yeah. that I didn't find, right? So now what you really come up with is sort of a best of breed. It's almost like getting nine smart brains together and combining them and kind of getting yeah, a, a, yeah. like a, a perfect brain, right? So I, I think that that ability to take, you know, each one, you know, expert brains and create the sort of best brain available is is a pretty interesting thought, right? It, it is. And like, you know, as you were saying, you know, there's challenges here with, okay, well, if we're going to do that, 
what do we do to extract the insights in those brains? You know, clearly it's not good enough to, to give them a 500 page questionnaire and have them fill it all out and say, okay, I know how you make tax decisions now. That's probably not going to work. Instead, we'd have to yep. do it while interacting with the material. You know, you're flagging things, maybe you're tagging things, I'm flagging things, I'm tagging things. And we'd have to build this corpus of layered expertise over time. Obviously a process, obviously not easy, but it sounds like the, the vision that, that excites you as someone in the tax field is if we can coax out those higher level decisions that are trapped in human minds, like you said, we might find this almost perfect mind where we can get a lot of these decisions made very quickly. That's right. I think what's holding us back today is the the amount of time it takes today, right, to, to do that. And even machine learning, I mean, you know, one wonders why that's not why that's not as as sort of prevalent everywhere is because the time that it takes to teach the machine and have the right brains and the it, it's a much longer time and a lot a lot more investment than many companies today want to make, right? Up front. Yes. And it, it is that itself is I, I think what's holding us it back, not the technology itself, but um the upfront investment that needs to get made in, in some of this and also that. I mean, yeah. Today we don't have a system of you know, if I'm looking at something and I'm thinking, I'm tagging, et cetera, that information is not recorded anywhere. No, right? it no. It just disappears. It's, it's a lot of valuable yep. information that is just gone instantly. It's just in my brain and I, you know, and that's it. Yeah. And so the, the fact that we can actually create transparency <laughs> there is, is, is pretty exciting. Yeah, and, and you, you know, you bring up a really important closing point, I think, for the audience here. And I'm sure at EY, you folks are thinking about this. I know that the the other big enterprises we've spoken with, you know, everybody has the same issue. That it, it's hard. It's hard to structure a way to drink in that information in a way that's going to train a system. It takes a long time. It also takes a lot of thinking to structure what kind yep. of annotations fed in in what way to achieve what goals to be you know sustainable yep. and accessible through what mediums. These are big picture bringing a company together to brainstorm about things in a new way, and often. Thinking about data and thinking about pooled human effort across divisions in this same way is not a conversation that happens every week. These are new guinea pig-like conversations in a big existing enterprise. And I think, you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that's that's part of what makes it hard is that we don't do this all the time. This is kind of a funky way of thinking about things. Very true. And most companies sort of don't have the appetite to set aside that time to have yep. people take because it, it will take extra time for me oh, to yeah. just get through something. And do it versus me to get through it, but tag and record it yeah. is it, more time consuming. Yep. So should I be spending the 30% extra time to be doing it today for the benefit of that, yeah. that you know, bigger vision? Yeah. Well, you are, uh, the audience is probably listening to you and saying, I am asking the same thing. And no doubt about it, essentially everybody in enterprise is wondering some version of that same question. So hopefully today this has opened up the, the kind of space of capability for a lot of the listeners. Sharda, I really appreciate you pouring out your insights here and being with us on AI and industry. Thank you for being here. Sure. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate it.
That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.